0: Hello and welcome to Farmarama. We're very grateful to those of you that support us and allow us to bring you these stories every month. Even the smallest contribution makes a big difference to us. So if you'd like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com forward slash Farmarama.
1: This month, we hear from three practitioners about what it takes to transform minds and hearts. We hear about how collaborations between multiple farmers and indigenous landholders have built a new vision for the food and farming system in one county in California. A farmer in the UK tells us about her journey moving towards a regenerative farming system. And we hear what it takes to train people so they can support others on their regenerative journey.
0: Bea Alvarez is the Climate Resilience Projects and Outreach Coordinator at Carbon Sink Farms and Foodshed in San Diego County, California. She's based at Solidarity Farm, which is on Liseño Indian Territory and neighbors Palma Tribal Farms. What started as a single farm leasing land from the Palma Band of Liseño Indians has turned into a much larger movement as the landholders and tenants work together to build a carbon sink Demonstration
2: farm. Where we are located, we have um, a changing Mediterranean like climate. And in 2017, there was a very extreme weather event. We reached temperatures in a summer of 122 Fahrenheit. And that made very like clear this. Alarm that was uh, ringing uh, very, very loud that either we need to to change the the way that we farm in order to like continue to to you know survive in this in this environment and if we wanted to make the the livelihood of the of the farmers as you know continue to, to to thrive changes needed to be to be made. So solidarity farm leases land from the Palma Band of Luceno Indians. So we have been built through the years a relationship with them, with the tribe that has other agricultural projects undergoing. So this event in 2017, like, affected us all in, in the area. So the we lost animals, we lost crops, and, you know, like, trees were just, like, burning, and it was just, like, a daunting scenario. So together we we started to like have conversations about what can we do you know like in collaboration so we can create different projects that can shift the way that we are building resilience in our ecosystem in our region that was the the birth of the carbon sink farms so in collaboration we started to to look at what are the different Systems and practices that we could implement to, you know, like shift from you know conventional to more regenerative practices. Here in the U.S., uh, there are like, several different agencies and and programs that that support this transition from conventional to to regenerative or more like carbon farming like based practices. So we were the first project here in, in Southern California to receive the, the NRCS, the Natural Conservation Healthy Soils Program. It's a, it's a grant that, you know, like allow farmers to implement different um, conservation practices. So we did an analysis, created a carbon farm plan. And, you know, like through that, I started to implement the practices that we have now five years in in the making. So we started with implementing some hedgerows. We started planting like cover crops and transition like about uh, five acres in the farm. We have a total of 10 acres that we are in operation and we transitioned that into no till or reduced tillage so that was the the foundation for for these these practices the farm does not use any kind of like pesticides or or chemical fertilizers and you know we have seen how the the practice of no till they generate many co-benefits and, you know, like one of them is just the, the carbon sequestration. And that's one of the, of the topics that has been in, in the priority of different agendas in the region in terms of like policies and car, climate action plans. And in the county uh, right now, there is a, a project. In in progress with the the different you know approval through the, the the governance in the in the county that is called the regional decarbonization framework. So we have been very very active in this scenario in which we can show what are the the benefits that the farm uh, has been you know like producing through like, having these, these practices. We have better uh, water holding capacity in an area that we are like, prone to drought. Then the yield of our, of our crops is, is higher. We are able to measure the increase on them, on the carbon, the fungal, and the bacterial like, ratio, and the organic matter in the soil. So focusing on like, working on, on improving the soil health we We saw the benefits of of this the journey started you know like with the with solidarity farmers like leading these practices and 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 the partnership with the tribe allow us to you know like create this this dynamic that is very unique and the tribe at the moment started an olive orchard and this last year they implemented vineyard and and also like through the through the pandemic they created a a program in which some of the tribal members got like trained in in our farm to do a small scale farming and now they're they're farming about four acres and producing a csa uh, box it's a farm box that they distribute with them with the tribal members every every week for free not a lot of farms are you know like able to 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 work you know alongside different like indigenous like community and one of the things that we that we implemented in the practices is like when when we did the heteros for instance we selected a plant like palette that was like tailored to or associated with what is called like tech or traditional ecological knowledge and in which all native plants that were like planted on on the hedgerows were selected because uh, they were for the indigenous communities in the in the area their food fiber or medicine so we are not only using the the hedgerows for the convenience and the benefits of having better better soil structure and attracting more pollinators, but also these plants that play a, a cultural significant cultural role in the traditions of the indigenous um, communities in this area. I feel like the benefits that that comes from 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 these practices. Is not only improving the, the, the soil health and the, and the plants and the crops like health, but also the principal co-benefit is that we can do local distribution of this product.
0: In the last few years, another layer has been added to the brilliant work being done with the establishment of food shed. Via explains how it was born.
2: This is gonna take me like back a couple of years to November of 2019. We hosted the first carbon sink convergence here in Southern California. So about 180 representatives from from the from the state and from different states here and there in the US and different like uh, indigenous communities. We come together with the with the goal of mutual aid and an exchange of like practices and and experiences and, and and information. So there were like four different work groups in which we were able to to share experiences, to like vision the future for the region, and an opportunity for for us to learn from from different farms in different bioregions and from different farms in in different areas and capacities about governance ways of operation how we can support more uh, new farms and how we can support beginner farms with the focus or also amplifying and elevating the voice of BIPOC, this Black, Indigenous, and people of color, and communities that have been for for many years just relegated or, or neglected by the by the food system. So one of the one of the work groups was focusing on like food hubs and and shared resources. 2020 came about and you all will remember what happened that year and you know at the beginning of the year solidarity farm and a farm came together with the idea of, of creating this uh, collaboration for um, a new uh, csa program so a new like farm box like distribution that these two farms could start implementing in the city of San Diego, especially providing these equity boxes at a very affordable price to a neighborhood that is very diverse and has the, the most or the highest rate of immigrant communities and refugee communities in, in the city of San Diego. It's called City Heights. So it started in at the beginning of march in 2020 and it was called food shed a food shed is just like a, a a regional like area in which the the food is produced how far it travels to to go to you know to to the tables of the of the communities and you know like to whom this this food is is distributed so foodshed launched in early march 2020, and, and then the pandemic hit. And in the middle of the of the chaos, it was very, very important just to see how this crisis also opened a new window of opportunities for local farms. What happened at the beginning of the pandemic with the lockdowns was the a lot of producers didn't have any farmers market to attend. A lot of crops were lost because they couldn't be like harvest. There was no like outlet for, for a lot of local farms that usually sell their produce in in farm stands, in farmers markets. And this to me it was the, the eye-opening that we all like needed because um a lot of farms were like reaching to us to say hey are you still having the 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 csa boxes can we you know like can we sell our products through through your csa so this like created the 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 perfect storm in a way for for us to to come together and start creating these like co-op farmers own and and operated uh, network so this is March um, 2020, and we started with uh, with six uh, farms. And now 2022, the network has grown. We have about 44 farms that, in different capacity, are are providing the like, food. So we aggregate the the food from from these farms, and we have about. Uh, 60, 63% of the farms that are BIPOC and 50% of the farms, these farms that are women-owned and and operated. So our strategies are based on the equitable distribution. So we we like to sustain these communities by meeting people where they are, and and work tirelessly to build and sustain like healthy families. So we. With support of, of different like programs from from the state, we have one that is um, called Fre or like EBT that give um, people with low income access to, to grocery. And now the the program has opened up for a grant match to people of the community to be able to to access these um, fresh products from local farms. So this has a, a huge impact in the in the local economy. Usually San Diego has the highest rate of San Diego County has the highest rate of uh small local farms, but only five percent of the food that is produced here is consumed locally. There's a lot of exporting to to other states and and such. So we did this calculation that if we spend only 5% of our food budget on locally grown products, we could sustain approximately 6,000 small farms. And these purchases will, in turn, have an additional 2.7 billion economic multiplier effect to recirculate in our communities we also focus on the farmer to farmer mentorship and the support of this community of practices so one of our strategies is the thriving farms so we work directly with farmers to to produce like quality food that is good for people and for the environment and we do this by developing a mutual aid support network to empower to empower local BIPOC new and seasoned farmers to farm regeneratively. By cultivating this uh, economic viability, uh, we like to cooperate with farmers and create a multifaceted support network that is committed to fighting climate change using the concept of carbon farming and regenerative agriculture practices and with the goal to restore and rehabilitate the approach to food and farming systems this is the the beginning of the of the food shed at, at this like food have and 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 resources and you know like focuses on focusing on the distribution of of local produce. so there. You know you have the the benefits that we can like guarantee the the purchase of the of the produce to the farmers and do the distribution in the communities that will traditionally wouldn't have access to this kind of 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 fresh produce. Or organic food that you know usually or traditionally you go to the to the market and this is you know like na- neighborhoods or or communities that you know are in in a food desert or they don't have um, nearby uh, markets or or either like farmers markets that will allow them to to have access to fresh produce. So changing the, changing the dynamic, you know, allow us to like work directly with the with the consumers and work directed directly with the with the farmers. And since since this is um, uh, an S corporation that you know is farmer owned and operated, so we are all involved in the in the ownership of the, of their, or the organization. You know, we've been inspired by it, you know, like many by many people, by many farmers, you know, like here in the States and and internationally as as well. And the message is just keep planting seeds and keep farming. And now we have them the challenges that we have in, in, in our times, you know, not only with with climate change, but you know, like also with the, the economic like crisis and you know the, the economic like shifting in, in different like systems and, and seeing like systems falling apart and you know like this is an opportunity to come together and, and create
1: Claire Hill is regenerative agriculture director at FAI Farms and is establishing her own small farm in Shropshire. She implemented the Regenerative Transition of FIA Farm in Oxfordshire, coached by Caroline Grindwood at Roots of Nature Consultancy. She told us how it started and some of the biggest challenges she's found along the way.
3: I think we all we all want to we want to know the things that we need to do differently. Like just tell me, give me the list of things we want to do when we're thinking about transitioning to anything. Um, but particularly, everyone's talking about regenerative at the moment. So what do we, um, Yeah, what do you want me to do differently? And that was definitely the first question I used to ask Caroline. But what I came to realise was that actually it's it's the way that I see things and the way that I view things that has changed. I think to explain it, that we still farm the same, same land, same animals, same customers, but we just think about what we do differently. And for me, that came about as triggers, triggers were things like finding we had resistance in the sheep to um, yellow drenches, yellow wormers, the the group of wormers, and thinking, well, that's great, because we've still got orange and purple to go. But what happens when they run out? And we know that those, uh, you know, that, that day is coming, we already use quite a lot of orange drench already. And and it was like there needs to be a radical change, like, and I can't see any other way of doing it. And there was no one thing that made me say, "Right, today we're going to be regenerative." Um, it was, it was like a lot of little things. The other thing was when we did some, yeah, kind of, uh, we changed our grazing. We went for the kind of techno grazing, New Zealand style model, and and that worked well. Like we grew a lot more grass. That was that was really good, but it was quite labour intensive for us here. And on an extensive system. We had all these animals during the summer that we knew that we could hold. But then it was like, what do we do with them in the winter uh, when the grass isn't growing as much? And because the focus was on, on utilisation, you, yeah, you, you had loads of grass in the, in the summer and you stopped to that. And then in the winter, they all had to come indoors. But we didn't have the housing. We're, we're an, a tenant farm on an old dairy farm. So the housing is no longer sort of suitable. And so it was like, well, we need to put up more sheds. Well, then you start costing up that and just thinking about it from a carbon ongoing point of view. It just didn't make sense. The straw, the tractors, the diesel, everything that was going to need to go into that. And um, and that's when, yeah, kind of was another point was like there needs to be a different way. Yeah. And I guess that's that's they were the two one of two of the key things that kind of got me thinking differently. Yeah, our measures of success are, yeah, definitely changing. And a biggest thing is instead of focused on yield, we're focusing on margin. So how much margin are we making? And what part of our decision making process on all of this was that we would reduce our sheep numbers because we 're having these problems with the worms and everything else, so we thought well, it, sheep are you know rarely in the u k making much money, so actually does it make a big difference to our margin? It makes a difference to our yield, but it doesn 't make a difference to our margin if we reduce the numbers and and often um people will say oh you 've got a lot of land and not very many animals stocking it and I say yeah but we don't house many of them and and our aim is to not house anything and so our costs are significantly reducing we're reducing we haven't got there yet each year we do a bit more and we've still got a long way to go but that's what that's what we're kind of aiming for and also in that productivity thing I start to think about what what we really like we all talk about productivity we've got to get more efficient we've got to be more productive what are we aiming for and my productivity measure now is about how much water I can hold on to because we we flood in the winter and we burn off in the summer that's our rhetoric around what this farm is and what I realise is that well we have all this water in the winter but it disappears in the summer but if we could hold on to it through the summer then wow how much more grass would we grow then so instead of thinking about the immediate how quickly is that animal growing I'm thinking how do I manage the land to make it be able to hold on to more wind, more water so that when it does rain in the winter or flood in the winter we hold on to that for longer because our growth rates definitely slow down kind of july august and into september before we get that autumn flush of grass again but if i had that spring and autumn flush wasn't a flush and it was just a continuum well we'd be growing we'd be growing some serious grass and and finishing some serious amount of animals um through that time so yeah, it's moving as well from that individual, like, right here and now making a decision through to, like, how do we manage this to be productive long-term? And that water water holding capacity of the land is now my main productivity focus. Like, what's the most important thing you can do? Um, I think it varies. It varies for different people. For me, it's been ha- having training. Because I did lots of reading and I read lots of videos, but I just couldn't work out where to start like what do I do first where if we need to spend money what do we do where do we take a risk Um, do we start grazing differently and how do we even go about that which livestock group do we focus it on so for me getting training about the the kind of principles about what we were trying to achieve was really helpful and to start with as I say I was always like I want to just want to know what to do but taking that time to understand it has been the thing that has propelled us on further more quickly in the long run just going through that to start with but equally, we did just do some things where we just said, let's just start. So we split um, quite a few years ago now. We split one of our biggest fields into four with permanent electric fencing. and We use permanent because everybody told us that you'll never keep those cattle behind uh, a, a temporary electric fence, which proved to be wrong. But just splitting that field in four and grazing round that, we saw that we could grow more grass and get better recovery. And that was sort of something... That helped us pr- propel on to do more as well. So I, I and the other thing is um, kind of making new regen friends and trying to find a new network or get on a WhatsApp group because that's the other bit that's hard is when when you do start doing things differently and people. Love to look over the fence and comment on what you're doing. It can be really hard uh, not to lose, think I'm going to lose face here, and just go back. And when something starts to go a bit wrong, to just revert back. So that new new network, or um, yeah, finding other people going through a similar thing, and there are loads of um, different groups around that I found has been one of the really helpful things as well. The thing that I found myself talking about more and more lately, and thinking about, is the the it is the mindset shift like everyone says it needs a mindset shift and of course that's really hard to ar- articulate um articulate what that means and and how do you get others on board that's a question i often get asked about um you know i want to do it but brother mother cousin uh, business partner etc etc doesn't so not been easy i think that's the thing to say and, and maybe that's been partly because we've done it quite early but more and more people are adopting things every day and that's that's really good um but it's um that's been the biggest learning that i don't think i expected to have to deal with people's uncertainty about it and some of that stuff goes really deep like we're challenging everything that people know and they react in ways that you don't expect. I think that's the thing that I found is that I thought it's just changing the way we farm but actually what this has ended up doing is, is, is questioning some people's deep beliefs including my own. I've come from a traditional training system my dad was a farm manager on arable farms and I went to Harper Adams and had a traditional training in how to run farming systems and um, through my career that's how it's been and when you start to unpick that and and talk about doing it differently it's everything it's almost everything everything I've learned I now question lots of it's still really relevant and it's right it's just maybe a, a tweak we always knew that soil health was important There's no getting away from that. And I definitely did a lot of learning about soil health at university, but how to improve it and what is soil health? So soil health, when I learned, was all about getting the chemistry right, getting the balance of the nutrients right. But now I understand soil health to be so much more than that. And it's a living thing. And how do we nourish it? And how do we manage it in a way that we're feeding it what it needs? Because when we do that, uh, it will pay us back and how sort of what, what progress means. So we think maybe progress is all the new varieties of seeds um, and new cultivation techniques and all of that is coming. Well, we know that when we leave a bit of land, stuff grows and actually, that stuff is suited to that soil and maybe the animals on that farm, and that we've we've undervalued that. I would have always talked here about our rough old pasture, it's not very productive, it doesn't do anything, but it's productive here because it keeps coming back. And however many times we try and reseed and put different things in, eventually those hybridized varieties, which can do really well and and but but require quite a lot of support and of course require reseeding every few years. And so just tried thinking about input costs in a different way as well like just flipping everything that i thought i knew on my head and and once you start on this journey sometimes it can be quite revealing like that you start questioning a lot of things so that would just be another observation of mine i think
0: we heard from nicole masters last month talking about the importance of digging holes to understand what's really happening on the land nicole is an author pattern thinker and Regenerative Soil Coach, based in Montana. In recent years, she's found her skills in such high demand that she's created a program to train more regenerative coaches. It turns out, being a regenerative coach isn't just about the practices we need to implement. It's about learning a way of thinking and then being able to take others on that journey. In
4: 2021, we released the Create. Program, which is a coaching school for agroecological coaches. And the reason that we did that is I'd been looking to hire people and I just couldn't find people that had the level of skills and experience and the thinking that's required to be a really, really good coach. It's been years and years and years in development, but I just went, right, we're going to do this and see what the interest is. And we got a threefold oversubscription of people applying for the program, which just really made me realize that there is a big interest in people doing that kind of deep ecological training. And also what the demand is. I mean, it's just so huge. And I felt like I was letting people down, people wanting, you know, consultancy in any kind of arena from viticulture to sheep and beef, to bison, to turf, you name it, and feeling like there's just not the, the people out there that are well-trained that can really help to support this sudden explosion in people being interested in soil health. I think students have been really blown away by the diversity of topics that we've covered. I mean, we go from everything from the technicalities of soil microbiology, soil nutrients, and then how do we weave those patterns together in terms of what are we seeing with soil function, how does that relate to plant health and yield and production, resilience, animal health, and even the human health aspect. It's that pattern sensing that we're missing is often you find people are incredibly skilled in a very narrow focus of knowledge, and that's not what the world needs right now. We need people that can see in holes, that can see in that whole Picture in terms of how do these things all interrelate, and then the biggest part of that is then how does that interrelate with the person on the ground, with your, with the farmer or the rancher, because at the end of the day, it's it's that person that's managing that landscape and all of the stories and all of the struggle and all of the issues that that particular producer's dealing with. As a coach, that's a big part of what you're managing. You know, it's all very well to come in and say, hey, you should plant a cover crop but that doesn't really shift people's relationship to landscape or really shift this what we call tickling the system like how little do we need to put into into a landscape to alter what those outcomes might be or how little do we need to change some of these grazing systems or what we're doing with nutrition and all of that is a mindset you know how do we look at weeds and pests and diseases do we feel like It's something that we need to control and kill, or is it something that's there as an indicator? So I think the students themselves are being really blown away by the amount of focus that we have on the mindset part. You know, how do we shift our own mindsets and how we see the world or how we see challenges or how we see conflict? And then how do we support a producer in being able to do that? Because that's where the real success lies. It's not in looking for an external expert. It's not to look for an external product. It's to look internally and develop the critical thinking so that we can solve problems for ourselves or within our communities. And that's the, that's the paradigm shift that is regenerative agriculture, is how do we become our own experts, not look for the guru? When you look at the acronym of what CREATE stands for, it stands for consciously regenerating ecosystems in agriculture through transformative experiences. Right. It's a big mouthful, so we, you know, it's on the brochure. But so when I talk with the students signing up, I promise them, you will not be the same person that completes the program as you are today. There's so much that is out for us all to transform. You know, we are layers of these onions that so we keep peeling back another layer, and there's another layer under there. So, for instance, one topic we spent some time on is our conversation. Is what we call the ecology of money. We all have our own internal conversations and belief systems about money. And that might be how you were brought up, your ancestral stories around money, um, media pressure, social pressures, all of this becomes the story. And then that can either be a hindrance or a help. And what I find when I work with a lot of producers is they have some really squirrely kind of conversations around money. And that might be money is struggle or money is greed or money is bad in some way, or I'll never have it, all these kind of stories. So what we do in the classes, we actually peel back, what are those stories? Where did they come from? Do they serve you? And what would it look like if you didn't have that story? What would become possible? And so that's what we're doing with the students is transforming what are those conversations? And then what would be possible? And so I think for many of us, it's financial freedom of not feeling like Yeah, it's shame or struggle or greed or any of those stories. So it's been a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed that topic. One thing that I'm really enjoying with the CREATE program is just the diversity of people on, you know, they range from, you know, 26 years of age to 70 years of age. They range from people that are much more practical um, to people that have, you know, higher science or extension experience consulting already. And what i found is for every single one of them, it's a journey and of rounding out where are those areas that maybe we're not as strong in so that we can provide these really robust but generalist approach to to coaching. So just inspired. It's really challenging. Like it's super challenging to teach to such a diverse group with such diverse experience. But what I find is every session I'm learning from as well. So it just, it's an expansive process. And out of this, we will be creating a fellowship of agroecological coaches or consultants that will continue this hive mind of learning and experience and, and sharing as we go forward. So I'm really looking forward to the next chapter.
0: If you're interested in the CREATE program, then they are currently taking applications for the 2022 cohort. So check out Integrity Soil's website to find out more.
1: This episode of Farmerama was made by me, Joe Barrett, Abby Rose, and Olivia Oldham. A big thanks to the rest of the Farmerama team. That's Katie Revel, Fran Bailey, Annie Landless, Eliza Jenkins, and Dora Taylor. Our theme music is by Owen Barrett.
0: Toodaloo!